Hello, Hello yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums-to-be and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Today on the podcast, we have a little treat, Miss Eleanor. Thank you so much for joining us. Would you be able to tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? So I'm Eleanor. I am 31 years of age and I have a beautiful little family, Matt, my husband, and my eight-month-old baby boy, Banjo. So nice. And Banjo and Goldie were born on the same day, a few hours apart. So little twins got to meet the other night, which was so cute. And you also run a business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I am the founder and editor-in-chief of Gritty Pretty, which is a digital media company and a beauty platform. We have a online magazine, a e-commerce channel. We have a podcast as well. And we also have a productions arm of the business called Gritty Pretty productions and we produce a lot of the social and digital campaigns for some of the biggest beauty brands in the world. Doesn't sound like much. (laughs) (laughs) Heaps of time of your hands. (laughs) I'm exhausted just listening to that list. (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll get to that. But yeah, we're going to dive into all different things today about how the first eight months have been of being a mum what it's been like to become a mother juggling that Mm. long list of things maintaining your relationship with your husband all kinds of things so we're super excited to speak to you today first things first though you're a beauty editor Mm -hmm. as you've said what are the three must-have products for pregnancy and postpartum so this is a common question I get from our readers because there's a lot of misconceptions around what ingredients you can and cannot use Mm. particularly during pregnancy one of the most common questions I do get asked is generally to do with how to treat stretch marks or prevent Mm. them obviously when our bellies grow our skin becomes quite tight and itchy but I personally found that using Clarins Body Tonic Treatment Oil every day during my pregnancy. What I loved about it is that I could apply it in the shower, put it all over my belly and then rinse off and it just smelt so amazing. The smell is just incredible and now when I do smell that product it just reminds me of my pregnancy which is really special another really good product is a hyaluronic serum they are pregnancy safe I personally use Estee Lauder Advanced Night Repair I use it pre-pregnancy during my pregnancy and postpartum our skin becomes so dehydrated and that obviously happens postpartum too especially if you are breastfeeding but I found that to be really beneficial and then what else I'm trying to think Probably a hand cream as well. I personally found that my Mm. hands became super, super Mm. dry and perhaps even just now because of COVID and the amount of hand sanitizer I'm using, a really nourishing hand cream. I love the Chanel Main Creme. It's that little egg. I've got that. I have it in my handbag and in the car and my auntie gave it to me for my birthday and I'm at the last little drops of it, but the smell. So good. So good. They're probably my top three. And then for postpartum, we can talk about postpartum hair loss because oh, that's a real Please thing. do because we've got 
We've got three women in the room. One that has absolutely. No, no, no. I can't take it back. We've all got baby snapped hair. Hell is hiding her receding hairline. I have noticed this morning that I'm starting to She's grow wings. I'm about to take off. I'm, I'm halfway through, so I have these like uh, it's probably like ten centimeters of new hair underneath my hair. And when it's a really humid day, I get these spiry little Afro bits everywhere. I think I've decided that I am going to go get some long bangs cut next week just to try and beat nature, just to try and be like, yeah, you want to give me short bangs, I'm going to give you long bangs. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I don't know about you girls, but I found my postpartum hair loss peaked at around three months. And it just came out in clumps yep. in the shower. Uh, and then at around five months, it started leveling out. And that's when I noticed the new growth. So it's not hair breakage. It's no. just new hair sprouting. And every time I went to the hair salon, which was very rare, <laughs> but when I did go, I was like, I think my hair's snapping, but I haven't done anything to it. And they're like, no, when we're drying it, have a look. It's all new regrowth just coming back. And I'm like, does this mean I get my pregnancy hair back? Because how good is pregnancy hair? It's so good. It's luscious. It's glossy. It's, it's cruel, though. It's Well, I just, yeah, I've got photos I can always look back on, but, yeah, it'll never be the same. Yeah, I remember oh, mine probably, mine was worse with Poppy than with Goldie, actually, but I, when the hair stopped falling out, I was like, oh, yes, I'm over that hump. And then when it starts growing back, you go, oh, God, this is so much worse than the hair the loss. Hair this loss. is just – because, no, you can't you do the mum bun. Why is it called a mum bun? You can't do a mum bun so because true. you've got wings. It's you've got a so crown. Well, no. Anyway, moving along. Did you suffer from any skin conditions or anything like that related to pregnancy when you were pregnant? I was very, very fortunate. So I know a lot of people will hate me for saying this, but I had really good skin during my pregnancy. I think – The hormones during pregnancy almost helped my skin. Yeah. You know, I wasn't suffering from those monthly hormonal Mm. breakouts anymore. So I personally found that my skin was better. But now that I think my period's going to come back, hopefully soon, I'm starting to get hormonal breakouts again. Mm. Sorry, we fully got on a tangent venting (laughs) about postpartum hair loss and you never told us. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) So what I have used to, to, to deal with my postpartum hair loss is nioxin. It's a shampoo and conditioner for thinning hair. So I found that to be quite beneficial. I obviously have to test a huge amount of products for my job. And I generally generally will try and make sure that I'm using something for a minimum 30-day period. Mm. But nioxin was probably the topical treatments I noticed the most effects with, positive effects. I also used the Bondi Boost Treatment Growth Spray, and I found that to be quite beneficial. Mm. Because your hair looks amazing right now. Oh, thank you. And I also use a lot of supplements yeah. as well. So, um, What sort of supplements? Everything. <gasps> anything and everything. I was on the Beauty Chef, Vita Glow, JS Health, like anything. I, I use Nutra Organics Collagen oh, in yes. my smoothies each so morning, and I think that's great for hair, nails, and skin. And I got sent some of the Bondi Boost stuff, and I was like, oh, this is just one of those like influencer things. And I actually great. think that that, was, that maybe helped me not lose lose as much hair this time Mm. but it's so hard to know because there's so many factors that lead into it but this time has definitely the loss itself has Mm. not been as bad as with poppy yeah and it's i mean i think one of the things about beauty as well is that you know a lot of people may think that it is superficial to an extent but hair is such a huge part of your femininity and if you don't feel good about yourself if suddenly you find your hair thinning out you're getting bald patches that does 
is that places such an effect on your self-confidence mm. and your and how you feel about your own self-worth particularly during a time where your hormones are raging. Yeah. So I don't think, you know, beauty is ever to be underestimated. It can really be such an empowering tool and products when they're designed to nourish our skin, nourish our hair, make us feel better. I think, you know, that's something always worth investing. I found the hair growing back was harder on my self-esteem after Poppy than my body changes Mm. because I was like, you know, I can dress for my body. That's fine. But I actually, yeah. And I feel like it is drummed into you that it's superficial, but the changes in my hair, I was so self-conscious about them with the the fringe things. I mean, I can laugh about it now. For me, I had uh, like, I would just slick back my hair and be like, whatever, it's just shit today. But with my skin, Mm. I only had, I've had three pregnancies. My first pregnancy was the one that I actually had this massive breakout. And I've been fortunate enough to have even through puberty, one pimple. Like that's just what I had. So that would have been a huge shock for you. Massive. Right? It was yeah. all, I've got photos of it and it was all down my cheeks. Pregnancy acne. Yep, all down my cheeks. And this is when I was vomiting day oh. and night and I was just like, this is you not You feel gross enough for. as it is. Yes. Yeah, so that I couldn't. I could not cover yeah. because it was sore and because, you know, yeah, so I, I at that time had no idea what to do but then after I guess a few months passed the hormones changed and then I got the glowing phase. Which Second trimester is great. Yeah. Like that energy is great. <sighs> I didn't have the energy but my skin <laughs> And still haven't got it back yet. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what yeah. trimester you're in. I lost it a long time ago. <laughs> now can you tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a mother? Yeah so uh, my husband and I we got married two and a half years ago. We've been together for 11 years now and about six months after we got married we decided that we were going to start trying for a family. It's something that I had always, always wanted. And we were really fortunate to fall pregnant at the first attempt. And then sadly, we miscarried that baby just shy of eight weeks. Mm. And that rocked me. And I'll probably start crying in a moment because it's still something I think if you've experienced a miscarriage like yeah. you have, Sophie, it's just something that you'll you never forget and no. it just sits with you forever. And I just, to be honest, I never thought that was going to be part of of my journey yeah I thought you know I'm so healthy I look after myself my husband's so healthy we're both really active how long did you know that you were pregnant I knew straight away so like what yeah yeah, you had your head around the whole idea that you're having a baby from about three as early as you could find and especially I think well I I guess it could be even harder if it's hard to conceive but I think when you conceive the first month you're just like oh my goodness I was born to do this this is (laughs) like my calling in life I think I mean I felt pregnant immediately I felt bloated my boobs were sore I felt so Mm. pregnant Mm. and I imagined what our family was going to be like I imagined this baby I had a due date you know I had all of those things and I think when you go through pregnancy loss it's such a strange type of grief because you are grieving the memories that you thought Mm. you were going to make Mm. it's a good way to put it you're grieving this baby you never got to meet yeah but it had a heartbeat and whether you lose you know a baby at eight weeks or 18 weeks I still think that that loss is really significant and for me it it really really affected me I was in a pretty dark place afterwards and I think 
my way of healing was to try and control my grief because I, you know, I'm a, I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm really good at controlling things. Mm. So the only thing I could do was just try to heal in the best way that I could. So I saw a counselor, I saw a therapist, I got acupuncture, I spoke to my closest friends who we had told that we were pregnant, yeah. which I am still so grateful that I did. Yeah, agreed. That helped my healing. I leaned on my husband so, so much. And I think that coupled with the determination to fall pregnant again is what actually helped me get through that grief. I have full body goosebumps because literally you were taking the words out of my mouth. Like I'm not calling you a control freak, but I'm a control freak too. So (laughs) I know, but I didn't want to say it. I wanted you to say it. (laughs) But as in, yeah, it is something that all of a sudden is so out of your control and you just go, how can I bring this back to being mm. able to control this. And I agree, I, I didn't regret having told people because I was like, oh, well, at least I'm not starting from the start mm. telling them. Do you have any tips on uh, for other women that may be going through something similar? Oh, I think all you can do is lean into it. And, you know, I, I pinch myself every day when Panjo wakes up every day. I'll stop crying a second. When he wakes up every day, and I see his face. I'm so grateful for what we have gone yeah. through. And I really genuinely believe that the mother I am today is because of the experience I've yeah. gone through with my miscarriage. But the best thing I could do was surrender to it. And, and probably mm. that's the greatest lesson I think anyone can learn in yep. parenthood. And no one's got that down pat. No. But all you can do on a daily basis is just surrender. And when I was grieving and I couldn't get out of bed for at least a week, I just had to feel it. Mm. That's all you can do. And, and you know, I hate saying, you know, time heals wounds, but unfortunately the, the reality is that so it, it does to yeah. an extent. And it lessens the pain. And does, like, it, is it just that grieving process where you, you have to, you do get, like, really sad and then you get really mad and then you... Oh, so I got, you just oh, I got yeah. mad Okay, too. so yeah. you do go through all those emotions. Yeah, yeah. tell us about that getting angry. my Filipino side came out <laughs> quite strong. The feisty side came out afterwards. But I think the hardest thing... After after the sadness of losing our baby that we so desperately, desperately wanted, it was the anger. Like, why? Why did I lose that baby? What is wrong with my body? And you have all of those normal thoughts that I think are part of the grieving process, but all you can do is lean into it. I think the hardest thing is your grief can make others feel uncomfortable. And that's why I'm so passionate about talking about pregnancy Mm. loss because I think the stigma does need to be removed. And people who perhaps are fortunate in not having gone through that type of loss need to be aware that just because it was an early miscarriage or that child wasn't born, it doesn't mean that the pain doesn't hurt. And there are certain things that I think can be said and they're often quite insensitive. For me being told, you know, even by family members as well, oh, well, at least, you know, you can fall pregnant quickly. Yeah, or at least you got pregnant quickly. That's what I got all the time and yeah. that doesn't. And I just, so what, what is the right way to respond to someone and, and support them after a miscarriage? Like me sitting here not having mm. ever been through a miscarriage, 
I am always one to put myself in other people's shoes, but I really feel like I'm out of my depth with mm. nurturing on if a friend had a mm. miscarriage, how I would respond. I think the best thing you can do is just say, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry for your loss. I think. To- Don't try and find ways to like, oh, because you've probably heard it before. I just think if anyone was to pass away, you would never say at least. True. In, in a way to comfort them you know if someone passed away from cancer at an old age you still wouldn't say oh well at least they had a long life that person still passed away yeah it's being empathetic to the situation so i think the best thing you can ever do is just say i'm sorry and just support them check in on them for me like i had so much support and again i think telling my family and closest friends that i was pregnant quite early was the best thing i could have done because my tribe of people, mm. they got me through that period and, you know, dropping off meals to our front door and just checking in that we're okay. That's all you can do to support somebody. But I think ever ever trying to justify a loss just shouldn't ever be done. And people are coming from a good place. Always. It's just minimising it never helps yeah. in any kind of grief. I yeah. mean, and you have quite a following on social media and you decided to be very open mm-hmm. about your miscarriage. Mm-hmm. That must have taken a lot of courage. Like mm-hmm. what brought you to the point of going, okay, I'm going to be open about this? So I had fallen pregnant mm-hmm. again okay. with my son. I was, Can I just ask before you go yeah. to that, when did you decide to start trying again? Immediately, okay. as soon as I could. Again, control freak. Um, <laughs> but as soon as my doctor gave me the, the okay, it took after my miscarriage, I had a natural miscarriage. Mm-hmm. So it took four weeks for my cycle mm-hmm. to return. I waited another cycle for my body to really normalize and get back into its rhythm. And then we tried again and I fell pregnant that time round. In saying that, the first 20 weeks of my pregnancy, I had full-blown anxiety. Mm. I had panic attacks quite regularly. I was so scared of losing this baby. And like I look a banjo now and I'm just so grateful that I, you know, I'm so grateful to that first baby because I wouldn't have my son if I didn't go through that experience. And is it because you, like a doctor can't say, oh, it's because you did this, this and this. So you don't know there is you're no trying reason. as a control yeah. freak that you self-admit that yeah. you can't actually control this. Yeah, which is why I think it comes back to that concept of surrendering mm. and Throughout motherhood, that's what I'm learning. I haven't learned that yet, but it's what I'm Same. figuring out. Me too. But I think it, it definitely took me a good, I would say, 15 to 20 weeks until I genuinely believed I was pregnant. Yeah. You know, the first few early scans that my obstetrician did, I just chose, and my husband too, because we were both scared, it's his baby, but we we didn't get excited. I remember the moment I found out I was pregnant with Banjo, I did a pregnancy test because I had a wedding the next day and I thought I should probably check it out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Always away. Yeah. Probably Let's check see if I'm going to absolutely ride myself off or not. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then I ran into the room, you know, in the morning and I was like, holy shit, I'm pregnant. And immediately afterwards that just followed with tears because I was so scared again. So it probably took me about 15 to 20 weeks until I just I made a conscious decision to believe in my pregnancy. And I think once I felt movement, that was really when I made a decision to work on my mental health and say, okay, I'm going to believe in this baby because it 
deserves to be believed in. Yeah. And that is really when I found the courage to talk about my pregnant pregnancy loss. But I just kind of felt like for those, I guess it was from start to finish, probably about four or five months, I felt like I was walking around with this huge secret. Hmm. Like I, I lost my baby. I was pregnant. I was pregnant again. And I just felt like I was walking around and everyone, you know, I would see on a daily basis be like, how are you? And I'd be like, good, good. Inside, I'm not okay. So it just took me a while until I felt ready to talk about it. But what I wasn't prepared for was when I did publicly announce that I had experienced my miscarriage, I wasn't prepared for the outpouring of women who share their own stories of multiple miscarriages, yeah. stillbirth experiences, and even women messaging me saying they were in the middle of miscarrying. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for that. Wow. And it was, it, I can't even tell you how exhausted I was emotionally. I just remember sitting on the couch just crying. Aww. Yeah. It was, you know, equal parts relief to be able to speak my truth. But equally, I, because I'm such a deeply empathetic person, I feel other people's emotions when I was bombarded with hundreds and hundreds of women telling me their stories. I just wasn't prepared for that. And it's nice to not feel alone, but then if you feel like you're still somewhat in the grips of that, it's mm. really hard to then be a rock for other people. Yeah. It's a really strange thing, miscarriage, because there is a, there's somewhat of a stigma, right? Like, you know, there's that idea like you don't tell anyone that you're pregnant for 12 weeks just in case. But I think what that does is it sets up this idea that if you do experience miscarriage, that there's an idea of, of shame mm. attached to it. And I just think that's bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Like that shouldn't and, exist. And ask, Especially if that's one in four to one in five pregnancies. Like that's a lot. Yeah. But also that is a time where like you need the support the most. Sure. And so I would personally, I would be like as soon as I fall pregnant, I tell immediate family. The, I think your support network. Yeah. Who are your closest people that you would tell that you had a miscarriage to? Mm. They're the people you would say, I'm pregnant. Oh, I FaceTime my family when they're still wee dripping off the stick. <laughs> they're like, did you literally just do the pregnancy test? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, I could have not tell anyone. Because, yeah. And I think it's, it, even if you don't have a miscarriage or haven't mm. been through pregnancy loss, for so many women, that first 12, 15, 18 weeks mm. is so difficult. And I think that by the time women are coming out and saying, I am pregnant, they're mm. generally at that point where they're feeling better. So other women who are going through, you know, the mental health issues of first trimester, mm. you know, the vomiting, the fatigue, they often feel so alone because mm. they go, all these other women you know, even when they're announcing they've normally got this beautiful bump by them, whereas for the first trimester you're just feeling like a, a lard. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, And I think that is what makes women feel so alone during the first mm. trimester because because everyone is hiding that yeah. stage, that often really, really awful stage. Mm. And that's the thing. I think if we can share that with our closest support network, it will help get you through that experience, whether it's it goes on to become a you know viable pregnancy or not. How was your pregnancy with Banjo? So as I mentioned, the first 15 to 20 weeks, I kept it quite private. Initially, when I fell pregnant, I had, I think about, I'm trying to remember, about seven weeks of nausea and vomiting. And it stopped bang on 14 weeks. And then I started to feel good again. I started, you know, that 
little pregnancy bloat started turning to an actual belly yeah. um, and a cute little bump. But it probably wasn't until about 20 weeks that I started to feel really good. And like I said, I spent a huge amount of time investing into my mental health, which is something I believe is just so important in general. And I really ended up enjoying the remainder of my pregnancy. I loved it towards the end. Physically, I was lucky in that I didn't really experience too many aches or pains. I had a little bit of tailbone pain towards Mm. the very end. I thought it was sciatica because it was almost like like a nerve, like someone taking Mm. a live wire to my tailbone. Mm. But turns out, yeah, it was my coccyx. But aside from that, I was quite fortunate to have a pretty problem-free pregnancy. Amazing. Now you've said openly that you want to keep your birth story for your little family, which we 100% respect. And we think that's beautiful. But are you able to tell us everything? (laughs) (laughs) But but only tell us the gory details and we just want a minute by minute, play by play. But was birth, number one, how did you get prepared for birth and was it how you expected? I had a really pragmatic approach. Fancy that. Yeah. (laughs) I am quite a realist and I just decided whatever was going to happen was going to happen. Good way to think. And I was pretty at peace with if something went wrong and I was going to have an emergency cesarean, for example, then that would be the best thing for my baby and for my body. So I was fine with that. And I don't know if that's something to do with the fact that I was an emergency cesarean baby. I was born seven weeks premature myself, so I, I don't really see any stigma attached to it. For me, you're all right. Yeah, I turned out fine. <laughs> I think. You let me know later. <laughs> but I had an amazing obstetrician and I trusted her wholeheartedly. I trusted her with my baby's life and my life. And we also prepared by doing calm birth classes. Yeah. I feel like I'm a bit of a modern day hippie. I like, you know, believe in some of the woo-woo stuff. And then I also really love science and the whole medicine. I love that. I'm a modern day hippie too. I'm going to just pop that on my Instagram. (laughs) Modern day hippie. Um, (laughs) Learning to be. (laughs) Just wait for the backlash from that. I would maybe keep it out of your bio. Okay. Okay. But, yeah, I think calm birth was really good. It was really good for my husband. For him, it kind of gave him this role. And if anything, it educated us on how labour and the birthing experience works and and why oxytocin is required to bring on contractions. So by the time that I did actually go into labour, which it was like in the movies, my waters broke at home, I was pumped. Like there's a photo. Yeah, shaking. Yeah, like high adrenaline. adrenaline. It couldn't get me into the car fast enough. I couldn't wait oh, to wow. get to the hospital. Were you 40 weeks? 40 weeks and one day. Amazing. Um, oh, so it's pretty punctual. Pretty punctual. Ooh. A little bit tardy. Good for you, um, though. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. But again, I think I had worked on my mental health so much that by the time, you know, I was full term, I just, I was so excited. It felt like Christmas had come. And that in itself, I think, is why I had such a beautiful birthing experience. It was better than I ever could have imagined it would have been and, and something that I think my husband and I will savour and remember for the rest was of our Was it natural? Lives. It was. It was a vaginal birth. Yeah. Stop trying to get the details <laughs> out of it. And then what happened? And yeah. I know because you had Banjo on the same day as Goldie, 
Australia was a pretty anxious place at that time. Yeah, it was in the, the middle fires. of the bushfires. Oh, um, yes. I remember thinking, oh, holy shit, everything is yeah. on, fire. on fire and this That's is right. just the wrong time to be bringing a baby yeah. into the world. How did you tune out to that kind of thing? I got off social media. I mean, I still feel, felt that I had somewhat of a responsibility to, to educate myself and use my platform as well. But I kind of got off it in the last few days. I just went to the beach every day, swam, kind of did all those things that you know you won't be able to do for a little while I just did that and then my son he in Sydney it was pouring rain it was the first day where the rains came and I put those fires out you you were having a son no I didn't it was a surprise best surprise ever but I don't yeah I just tuned out yeah I was just so I felt in the weeks leading up I was so in myself that I really ended up enjoying my labour and birth experience. That is experience. so nice to hear. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I yeah, I can't wait to do it again. Like I, I actually really, really liked it. I commend it. you so much just listening to you and being so open about how hard it was you to, for you to have a miscarriage, but then you owning your mental mm. state and supporting yourself and get and like just it makes me happy knowing that you were happy when the, your waters yeah. broke and you were like, yes, let's yeah. do this. What, like, awesome. It, it just is a really nice thing to hear. Yeah, it was amazing. And, and again, I think because they have gone through pregnancy loss in my, my journey to becoming a mother wasn't what I ever anticipated it was going to be, it's definitely shaped the way I am mm. now as a mother to him. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So tell us about those first few weeks with a newborn. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, they're wild, aren't they? Yeah. First time round. And I was quite lucky because obviously Goldie was born on the exact same day and we have another mutual friend, Gemma, and she had her little boy, Iggy, six days before our kids. And I kind of I kind of remember how it happened, but Gem created this like face, a message, a message group. And it was so good to have that support. Yeah. Yeah. It was so good to have that support in the early weeks, you know, because obviously Soph and Gemma have had two kids now and I was just going through things for the first time, no idea what was happening. But I probably was riding on adrenaline for three weeks, Mm. I would say. Like I had the best hospital experience Oh, you're making me want to have another baby. I'm like, this is great. I can do this again. Nah, she'll get she'll get to the challenges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got one. I okay, got one. okay. Not just one. <laughs> but I think when I got home, shit literally hit the fan. Like figuratively and literally. <laughs> we got home from hospital and I had taken a laxative and our toilet stopped working. <laughs> <laughs> Did you take a laxative because you hadn't pooed yet? I had, but things were quite locked. Yeah. Mm. So I took that as soon as I walked in the door. Then <laughs> now I need to go to the bathroom. Toilet was not working. But hang on. Did you do a dump and then it stopped working? Yes. You blocked it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was awful. We had to get a plumber around. I had this newborn baby. <gasps> Matt made dinner that night. It burnt. <laughs> And you know what was my saving grace is that my best friend came over. She just dropped a bag of soup off at the front door, sent me a text and we said, dinner's on the front porch. Oh, a bag of soup and a, and a toilet plunger <laughs> yeah. and you were right. Yeah. Oh, and no. I just remember sitting there 
crying, being like, what has happened? Because I think I had such a beautiful hospital experience, absolutely loved the hospital where I gave birth, and it almost gave me, like, this false sense of security. I was in this cute little bubble. Totally. It's your expectations. So then you're like, oh, I'm going to go home and everything's going to be perfect. We're going to have that perfect dinner. Uh The baby's going to sleep. His room set up? No. I mean, everything was in the You do a big shit in the toilet and everything fucks up. (laughs) Oh, and you you feel awkward calling the plumber because it's not just shit in there. Like, there would be blood in there. Yeah, there would be, yeah. like, and you're just like, oh, God, this yeah, plumber's going to... you blame it on your husband. Why does he have that much blood in his poo? <laughs> oh, my God, who knows? <laughs> who knows what he does? <laughs> who knows? And tell us, did you get the baby blues? How was it when your milk came in? Oh, God. So, we're I mean, really digging that hole, aren't we? Yeah. Like, tell us it all. Yeah, if you're not telling us about your birth, we're getting everything <laughs> <Yeah>. else. <laughs> I'm happy to show you about the other stuff. I mean, Good. for me, breastfeeding was a real Did you have challenge. an orgasm during birth? That's what I feel no. like the secret is. No, I didn't. No, I think she'd be shouting that from the rooftop. Yeah. 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 That's another episode. That doesn't sound real. I know, but apparently. Apparently Mm. it is. Anyway. But when it came to breastfeeding, my milk came in on time and then I had severe engorgement for four months. I had Because you had small boobs to start with? I don't know. I, I produced so much milk. I had heard so much about having an undersupply, but not really heard any stories from women who experienced an oversupply. I mean, my son, he would choke every single feed. He would literally cough and splatter because I would be like just squirting him in the face like fire hydrant. I'm laughing now. I know it wasn't funny at it's the time because at you the were time. messaging me. Like, is this and, normal? But it's like the trajectory, like the velocity that your milk can squirt across the room and I've never even had oversupply. So I'm just imagining Banjo it, it like drowning. In, it's like a sprinkler. Yeah. It just goes in every direction. Did you not have that? No, I have. I've never had like diagnosed oversupply. Like the first time I definitely had that like Poppy was screaming because the tit was too round and she like couldn't Mm. get on. And But my my milk seemed to have really plateaued. Like my boobs just really knew what to do with Mm. Goldie. They kind of just produced the amount that was needed. But like, gosh, I didn't have it with Poppy for four months. Like that is hectic. So I had mastitis uh, when he was three weeks old and three weeks old is when I had my hormone dump. Yeah. As well. So I probably had a few days of baby blues around week three. It wasn't when my milk came in. It was delayed because I was so high on adrenaline for so long. Wow. Yeah. So at that time, I experienced mastitis. Since then, I remember my milk supply evened out around six weeks. And everyone would say to me, just get to six weeks. And it is a milestone. Mm. I think a lot changes at that six week mark and I did feel a slight shift in my supply but I was again engorged for four months do we have photos of these I'll show you I've photos. seen photos they're I'll massive okay and they, Why, were, they were they that full for the whole time the whole time see when you took your top off and this only happened for the first six weeks for me mm-hmm. and then it settled but mm-hmm. when I took my bra off if I was like my boobs were so like melon mm-hmm. rocks if the sprinkler system would just oh, come yeah. on and be just so would that just happen ongoing yeah that is wow did yeah. you just store that milk in the freezer yeah my or? freezer was full and i just used the harker to collect my letdown but because i didn't want to pump during that time i didn't want to create more no, of a supply I, yeah i had more than enough but what i don't think a lot of people talk about is the pain that can be associated yes like i you know it's a gland, right? Like you've got two glands on your chest and my chest was hot all the time. I had 
I don't know, maybe I, I think I lost track of how many blocked ducks I had after around the 15th time. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's really hard to manage, isn't it? Yeah. And did you speak to anyone professionally about did, that? Yeah. yeah. So I, I went to my local community clinic and spoke to the midwives. I went to my uh, GP and, yeah, they confirmed that I had an oversupply. But I am really stubborn, like really, really stubborn. And I decided I wanted to breastfeed my son. My goal has always been 12 months and I refused to give up. So what did they recommend to, to give up if you have an oversupply? No, they didn't recommend, but I could see why any woman would choose yeah. to stop at yeah. that point because physically I was in pain every day. So it's it's literally like you milk coming in, but for your whole breastfeeding journey. Wow. No, I could I probably so I, I would do a feed and maybe I'd feel relief for about half an hour. And, then and it's so hard because I feel like in those those early days, you're just willing them to just sleep that little bit longer. Mm-hmm. But you were probably like, don't you dare sleep <laughs> for anything longer than three hours because yeah. you need to get back on yeah. here. Thank God you had that pump. Yeah. Um, so they ended up probably calming down around the four-month mark. And now it's easy, convenient, and I have actually grown to a place where I love it. So much. Can you take your shirt off? I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> you talking about breastfeeding, not her, not specifically her tits. <laughs> I just want to see tits. <laughs> but I think they've kind of calmed down now. I would say I'm like a full C cup now. Yeah. I don't even know what they were at one point. Wow. Off, off it's already interesting. Yeah, but nothing prepared me for that. I, I kind of wish more women would speak about breastfeeding and that postpartum period. And obviously it's, it's different for every woman. You know, you can have absolutely no dramas whatsoever. But I think as a first-time mother, you are going to everything mm. as a first and you just have no idea what's ahead of you. So to experience for the first time when I would talk to other mothers who had perhaps gone through a similar st- sort of journey, you find comfort in yeah. those stories. Totally. I didn't expect the feeling of milk coming in. And I remember the midwife going to me maybe the day before my milk came in going, oh, has your milk come in yet? And I said, oh, yeah, I think a little bit. And she goes, then no, it hasn't. And I was like, what does she even mean by that? And the next morning I woke up and I was like, oh. And I don't. I was not prepared for that feeling. Mm. But my sister-in-law, she's really sensitive with her breasts. Like she just isn't one of those people that like to touch them or, mm-hmm. you know, really do much with them. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. she had a she had a breast she had breast implants because when she was younger one was really really big and one was really small. Mm. So she evened them up, but she just straight off the bat thought I am not going to be able to breastfeed because I'm so sensitive as it is. And that woman, I was like, "Has your milk come in?" She's like, "I don't think so." And the milk came in. She didn't even know. She breastfed like a champion. Wow. She has had no mastitis. She literally—it's been incredible her yeah. journey. And it's just interesting because she was one of those people that was like, "Oh no, I'm really going to struggle. Mm. I just don't think this is going to happen." And she's been well, you know, not that it's a competition, but I've had so much more issues with breastfeeding than she and has. And you love had. having your tits yeah. tweaked. Absolutely. <laughs> and my nipples are still. <laughs> with sleep deprivation yeah. and working and everything else mm. that you do. Throwing a pandemic. Oh, my goodness. How how did you cope? How did you go? Um, I think like anyone, you just somehow you do. We... Uh, 
I, in the early months, I fed my son on demand and I just kind of did that. I remember for the first few days I got home from hospital and I'd log everything in an app so I would remember because I would literally forget which side yeah. I had fed him from. And then after maybe three days of that, that in itself made me so anxious. I was like, right, no more logging. I'm just going to feed him whenever I think he needs a feed. And then I, to be honest, I kind of got stuck in this like newborn bubble, I would say for three or four months because he was seven weeks old when we went into lockdown. So I just kind of stayed in that state of mind and waking up, you know, three, four, five times a night felt normal because I, again, hadn't done it before. So how are you Mm. to know? And mother's groups had been cancelled as well, so there wasn't really much to compare to there. And I also, again, because I'm a realist, I was like, well, my baby cries, it's because he needs something, so I'm just going to feed him, and that's just going to go on for however long he needs it to. But I had read enough about the four-month developmental leap, and I hate the word regression, I really hate it. I think that in itself has so much negative connotations attached to it that it makes every mother feel like your child has developed backward, Hmm. which, again, is bullshit. They haven't. It's an advancement in their brain development. And the wonderful thing about the four-month leap is that they go from having a brain that does baby sleep to adult REM sleep. So I had read enough about it to know that it was coming. And then I remember when Soph and Gemma had told me it was coming because their babies were going through it a couple of days before. But we kept going, maybe it just won't happen for Banjo. And Elle kept going like, no, no, it's coming. It's coming <laughs> and it should come, really. Yeah. I think that was the best thing I probably went into the four-month leap knowing is that it probably should happen. Mm. There should be a change in his behaviour and his sleeping patterns. And we had one night where he woke up maybe seven, eight times and I called a sleep consultant the next day. And, you know, when it comes to, I think, any form of parenting, it's each to their own. And for me and my family, we decided that that was the best thing for us. It's what we believed in and we decided to ask for help from a uh, medical professional and it was the best thing we ever could have done. We did sleep training and in 24 hours my son was sleeping. Okay, I should have done that. But that's my son. Every baby could be different. Maybe someone else's baby might take a week to learn that skill. Or of five months. Or five months. Who knows? Who knows? To put their or son five to years. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it worked really, really well. Yeah. And now he sleeps through the night. Tell us a little bit about having your baby during a pandemic. Yeah, that's rough. I think the hardest thing for us is that we don't have our parents close by. Where are they? So my family live in Queensland Mm -hmm. uh, and my husband's family live on the central coast and we don't have that luxury of being able to call up one of our mums and say, can you just come over and, you know, watch banjo so I can have a shower and do those things or get a coffee and just sit for 30 minutes. So we never had that luxury, but we don't know any different. So I don't really like to focus on that as a negative. It's just the reality of our situation. Mm. I think the hardest thing about the pandemic was that I was thrusted back into my business earlier than I had anticipated. So I had hoped to have taken around four months maternity leave. And I say that in inverted commas because anyone who runs a business doesn't get maternity Mm. leave. And I just, I wasn't prepared for that. Like I was really enjoying my time with him. But when lockdown happened and, you know, the government was making those hourly 
announcements, it was survival mode. And I had to dive straight back into my business and make sure that I could save it. I didn't want to, you know, stand stuff down. I didn't want to make any pay cuts. I didn't want to cut anyone's hours. And I worked my ass off to make sure that I didn't have to do And that. about how old was Banjo then? Seven, eight weeks old. Yeah. But I think, I mean, the way that I'm wired in the way that, my, you know, my personality type is I love what I do. Yeah. So, you know, for me, working on my business, it's not a chore. It's something that I love so much. And if anything, I think when I had my son, I went through that three-week hormone dump and I went through my baby blues I experienced a huge shift in my identity where I was you know really terrified about could I work again can I run my business again because this baby is so dependent on me but am I still going to be able to do what I love so much and be creative and do all of those things and that if anything is what I struggled with but fortunately uh, we were able to sail through that time and it was obviously a, a really rough through few months and I think March, April were probably the hardest for any small business owner but we've come out of it and I feel really fortunate that we have probably come out of it stronger than ever. I think being a small business and Gritty Pretty being a smaller media company We've been able to pivot really quickly. You know, I was making decisions in a matter of minutes that I probably would have spent months really calculating and taking the time to think out. But the way that the media industry has shifted so much and, you know, the closure of women's lifestyle titles and these beautiful magazines that sadly haven't survived because they are businesses at Mm. the end of the day, it, I do believe it has put us in this different position now where we have a huge opportunity to, to scale and grow, which is all I can be, I can focus on. You know, I just prefer to put my head down and focus on what we do and what we do really well is produce beauty content. And I'm just, to be honest, I'm really excited about the future because I think what the pandemic did is when we had a huge amount of business that was put on hold, Whilst that was terrifying because, you know, I've got people's wages and lives and and their mortgages to think about, what it did is it forced me to tap into like a level of creativity that I didn't even know I had. Yeah. And my productivity levels now, like I was productive before. I can only imagine. (laughs) (laughs) Jane's scared of you. (laughs) She's patting me on the back. (laughs) But now what I can do in a two-hour window having since had a baby is phenomenal and I think I've just had to think deeper how I can create content that connect can connect with women in a more engaging level than ever before and I think that's what the pandemic has done for me it's it's really forced me to almost sit back a lot more and and have a a stronger dialogue with our community Mm. talk to the women who come to Gritty Pretty every day I think that it's because we were given the luxury of time you know and that also can be a backhanded thing, can't it? For sure, yeah. But I, I, again, I chose to make a conscious decision to utilise that time as a positive. I refused to let my business fail. And I just decided, well, if we're going to be quiet for a little while, we're going to create something, create a new product that we absolutely love. And for me, it's what I've really, really enjoyed about the podcast is that I get to interview people again. Um, And I think, you know, being a beauty journalist, that's what my background is. I worked in magazines for such a long time and it was my job to interview all these different interesting people who come from all different types of backgrounds. But as the business has grown, 
that those day-to-day things became lesser and lesser and lesser mm. part of my job and my job became more about managing my team and scaling the business so now it's really nice for me to have that again you know one of the highlights of my week when I get to sit down and interview somebody and I mean you're obviously shocking at talking <laughs> really 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 hard to get a story out of <laughs> Well, now, can you, can you tell us a little bit about the juggle of mum life and work life? Oh. How do you do it? Is it hard? Yeah, of course it's hard. Like anyone who says it's not hard is like fucking lying to you. Or knows something that we do not know. No, they're lying. No, they're lying. <laughs> they're definitely lying. If anyone says it's easy and it comes easy, they're lying. But what I hate about the word juggle or I really dislike about the word balance is that it implies that everything has to be evenly weighted and that you have to have. I love you. <laughs> you have to have. There's this idea that, that I think society places on women in particular and working mothers that you have to have your family evenly balanced and your friendships mm. and yourself. You're and making my anxiety feel really good right now. Oh, I'm like, ah, this she should true. record one of those like guided meditations. She should. I would listen to you that you go off to sleep. No wonder really Banjo sleeps through the night. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nano Banjo. <laughs> See you in the morning. <laughs> okay, mummy. <laughs> you sound like Pepper Pete. Um, I think, yeah, the biggest thing that I'm learning, again, I haven't learnt anything completely, but this idea that you have to have everything evenly weighted, I think, just places way too much pressure yeah. on everyone. And I've really come to notice that in the last couple of days, even. I realised that I had postnatal depletion. I was talking to you about this the other day, so I didn't even know that was a thing. Like Can you tell us a little bit about that? I just felt flat and I don't really feel that way mm. most of the time. I'm pretty, like, a happy... Does that mean hormone? Like, what does depletion mean? I mean, I guess it's different for, again, for every woman. They might have a different experience. For me, I'm hormonally imbalanced right now. My estrogen levels are really low whilst I'm breastfeeding. And I think that coupled with, you know, I'm waiting for my menstrual cycle mm. to return that throw a pandemic on, throw the stresses of, you know, leading a business yeah. and a team and running a household. I think all of that, it just kind of culminated at one single point and I just found myself waking up feeling so flat. And I, to be honest, last week I was like, do I have postpartum depression? Because That's I- honestly how I felt last week. And I think there's mm. something to do with the age as well yes. where all of a sudden you're, you're approaching you're, nine months. You're, yeah, like it, it's it's been a long time all of a sudden caring for another person mm. and, and maybe they are sleeping better at night. So you almost guilt yourself where you go, why am I so fucking exhausted Mm. and all of a sudden I think there's expectations put on you or maybe it's from yourself that you're like okay well I'm not in that immediate postpartum period so like time to get back to you know all like normality because this is life now and I think there's so many different things and you're thinking about solids so you're feeding Mm. another person and but I I don't even have a nine month eight month old baby and I have felt the same last week as well like as you said when you were reaching out someone told me that Mars is in retrograde yeah but she or he I think she's a she is in retrograde till the end of November so I said we're not putting it on that because I can't feel like this till the end of November so Let's just say something in the waters and all the pipes have been changed and we're ready to get back, yeah, back much to normal living. Much prefer that. 
And so are there any changes you've decided to make to feel better? Yeah, I mean, thankfully, um, you know, my marriage and my relationship with my husband has always had open communication. He's my go-to. He's my sounding board in life. So the moment I feel that I'm not okay or I feel flat, he's the first person I turn to. And he said to me, you know, just with each day, if you can just do one little thing for yourself, even if it is going for a walk or making yourself a cup of tea, you will slowly start to feel better, but you can't feel better at the click of a finger. No. Yes. So I've been focusing on that for the last few days and I actually do feel better. But I think, yeah, there's just so much of a mental load that we have to carry as women. And coming back to that idea of balance, I was listening to this podcast with Ashley Graham and Scooter Braun of all people. And Scooter Braun was saying he, he also really detests that word balance because it implies you have to have everything mm. perfectly even and life is perfect. But I much prefer to think of life now as a mother in, in the way that he explained, which is things just need to live in harmony. Yeah. And sometimes you might have to give more to your family totally. or more to your work. And that means giving less to your baby or your friends. Or your household. Or your or, household yeah. or yourself. Yeah. But things just need to live a little bit more in harmony. And if you can be a bit more... I guess a bit more understanding and, and talk to yourself in the way you would your best friend. That, I think, can really help you throughout that period as a new mother. I was driving here today this morning and I called my mum on the way to dropping Yumi at daycare and as I was talking to mum about, you know, the borders not still opening and just bouncing our ideas of how we can steal a plane and get her over here, I felt guilty. I looked in the back and I'm like, oh, I should be speaking to Yumi because I'm just dropping her off at daycare. I feel so bad. But I'm like, but I want to talk to my mum. And I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Like, seriously. Mm. Like, I'm feeling guilty either way right now. And I'm like, I'm actually doing myself a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. But I think if you can catch yourself like you did. Try, yeah. If you can try to acknowledge it in the moment and pull yourself out of that and go, no. No, I do want to talk to my mum for half an hour. Yeah. I need that. Yeah. And yeah. also don't punish yourself for the feelings because yeah, no. you're allowed to feel things. Yeah. What does your working week kind of look like? Do you work from home? Do you go into work? So we do have an office. Uh, we're based in North Sydney and my team and I, it's purely optional if we want to go in at this present time. Most of us do decide to go in, however, every Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And that works really well because we're able to have all of our team mm. meetings and we love seeing each other. So I go into my office every Monday and Wednesday. We have a beautiful nanny who who helps us watch banjo on those days. And my husband and I both go into the office and then I work from home on Tuesdays and I have Thursdays and Fridays off. Great. So I generally speaking have a three-day working week, but again, <laughs> you mm. just, you're never really off. No. Yeah. Postpartum body mm. image. Mm. How did you feel with your body after you gave birth? I mean, right after, without getting into the details of my birth. No, do. <laughs> right afterwards, I remember I had my first shower and there's a lot to be said for that first shower. It's yeah. an amazing experience. But I remember staring at my body in the mirror and I felt like a superwoman. Like I just remember being like, I just 
fucking push the baby out of my <laughs> vagina. Yeah. And I feel so incredible. Like, I am amazing. I remember, you hear me roll. Yeah. And I remember saying to my beautiful midwife and my husband, like, I'm amazing. Did you just see what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you know, in that respect, I was just in awe of my body. I had, you know, spent nine months growing this human and then I birthed him. And that was just probably the most magical experience of my life. And in that period, don't you reckon you want 10 kids? Totally. I mean, definitely in the weeks that follow, there's a huge amount of change that our body goes through and and almost instantaneously, like from the moment that you give birth and you birth the placenta, you've Oof. got hormones raging and your, you know, your uterus contracts immediately. And there's a lot that's going on and it can be quite confronting. I think for me, the biggest change was watching my breasts go from, you know, a small B cup to I don't even know cup. <laughs> and then, yeah, I mean, my body is definitely different now. Like my my hips sit wider and they should because I, I grew a baby mm. inside of my body. And mm. I've definitely had moments where I am confronted by the changes of my body and I stare at it and almost don't recognize it. And I've got the mum tum and... I definitely have moments where I feel down about it, but then I can also have a different moment the next day and, again, look at myself and be like, wow, I grew my son inside of myself. Like, that is truly phenomenal and I don't think we give ourselves enough credit. And I don't know what the stigma is on women or mothers doing this, but, like, it's it's like – we always try and go back into what our body was before we Mm. had children. And it's like, yes, I can fit back into my genes. But it's like, why is that such a Mm. reward? Mm. Like I honestly throw my – well, don't throw them out. I I give them away or I get rid of them somehow when I have given birth because, one, I don't want to – go into my wardrobe and have this unrealistic wardrobe and be going, I'm frustrated because I can't get in. So I actually buy things bigger and feel comfortable Mm. and where I'm not actually, and I still to this day have looser clothing on my stomach because it is a lot bigger than it always has been. But I always feel good and I feel sexy and I feel confident Mm. because I'm wearing something that is good for my body and I'm not trying to squeeze into some unrealistic pair of jeans that may take well it may never happen yeah so as you say like you might not be able to fit into them not because you're like fat or anything it could be literally your bone structure has changed Mm -hmm. so that's like no matter how yeah no matter how much you try and do things afterwards like it's just just an unrealistic and i think that's exciting to to get a new style like you're you're a mum you're a milf Mm. get a new style on board yeah Work it out. And I, yeah, I think the only times I've felt really down on my body is if I look in my wardrobe and look at clothes that I wore yeah. before mm. and then you're trying on 17 things yeah. and you're like, they all look shit. Mm-hmm. You know, if I just tried on one thing that maybe I'd bought since having a baby, mm. I would have just been like, yeah, mm-hmm. sweet, I look great, look yeah. at me. Yeah, well, like Jane said, like donate some of, you know, your yeah. own pieces. but And then buy something new that makes you feel, feel good. good. Yeah. Because you deserve it because you grew a human. Yeah. You, you find that, that style for your body that makes you feel confident. It, I just think that if you have a different perception and a confident perception of mm. your body as a mother and own it, mm. it is just you can feel just as sexy and just as good as you did before you had a babe. If anything, probably even more yeah. as well. I think, like you said, perspective is everything. But 
for me now, I feel more womanly. Yeah. When I look in the mirror, I've got hips, which I never used to have. I naturally am a petite person. I'm like 5'2". I come from an Asian heritage. But now all of a sudden I look at myself, I'm like, wow, I look like Beyonce. I, a- <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um, but I've got a woman's body. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of it. But like I said, there are definitely days where, I, you know, I just feel a bit shitty. And I might be like, okay, I'm not into I did change today. about 20 times today. Let's just say that. <laughs> I was pissed off and throwing clothes everywhere, but I made it here in the end. And you look fabulous. You look gorgeous. Darling. Thanks, darling. <laughs> now tell us a little bit about how your relationship with your husband has mm. changed or stayed the same. Or... It should change. Again, I, just, yeah. I think this idea of the things staying the same is so stupid. Like why should the greatest, biggest change of your life of creating a family see no ripple effects. I think that's ludicrous. It should change your relationship. It should change your body. It should change everything. But for me, I think to see my husband become a father, this is when I'll cry again, (laughs) to see him become a father has been like one of my greatest honours. I knew he was going to be a good dad. He's just a big kid at heart and just in real life but to see the way that banjo lights up and the way his Mm. face completely changes when matt walks into the room it's just like the greatest privilege to be able to see and um i think having having a child going through pregnancy loss together has strengthened our relationship in more ways than i ever could have imagined like we would tight and we were solid before you know as I mentioned I've been with my husband for 11 years now Mm. and you know I'm not going to marry someone I'm not tight with but we what we are as a as a unit now it it completely shifts I think when we got married I felt a shift Mm -hmm. I felt us go from being these two people who were living together to becoming a, a family unit and then when my son arrived I was just like, I will have a hundred of your babies. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Does help that he's, he's really fucking handsome. <laughs> yeah. We, we walked in today. I have a slight crush on him. And, and Sophie was like, oh, my God, he's so beautiful. I'm like, her husband or Banjo? And she's like, oh. Both. Oh, both. <laughs> in saying that, he does, not that they look alike, but he reminds me a lot of my husband. Mm. So it's probably because I have a really big crush on my husband. And so have, then that well, flows weird, on to. But he does have a sexy beard. They have similar interests for sure. Yeah. Um, Nick and Matt. But. Yeah, I, I've, I just, I always knew he was going to be a good dad, but the way he, the way he cared for me, particularly in those early months after having a baby. Don't all that cry. I'll <laughs> cry. The way he would get up every single cry to get my son and bring him to me so I could feed him. The way he just let me have that space to, to heal physically and emotionally and hormonally. Um, I just, like, I can't put into words how fortunate I feel to have him. He's just the love of my life. Oh, so good. I love it. Well, I'm taking him home. (laughs) 
I'm having him, I'm having him, and I'm having mine. I think you're taking Eleanor too, right? I'm definitely taking So you're about to adopt a fourth child too. (laughs) That's all right. Eleanor can take it. Yeah, I'll fit in. She's got a good way Thank you so much for coming in and talking to us and being so open and honest about the highs and lows of becoming a parent. And from what I have seen, you are just an incredible, incredible mother. And I thank you so much in those early days when we had that message thread going. When I got up at 3.30 in the morning and I could see that you'd sent a little message at 2 o'clock being like, hope everyone's having a great night or whatever. It just... I think it's so easy to feel like you're the only person in the world who's up at that time on your couch. And yeah, you, you definitely have helped me through this time. So I hope I could somewhat reciprocate that for you. So thank you so much for coming in and talking yeah, to thank us. You, beautiful girl. Thank you, girl. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.